I believe we are now joined by Will Gilbert. Will, have we got you on the line there? You do. Uh, welcome to the Wine Show Australia. You're with uh, Richo and, of course, Jill. Hello, Jill. I'll bring you in here. Uh, Will, thanks Thanks so much for joining us. How, how are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on this morning. It's great, oh, to, so great to be talking to you guys. Well, you're you're quite the up and coming winemaker, Will. It's um it's quite exciting. You've got a, you've got such a great story and history behind you. But you're making your own waves. Um, I, I I love seeing what you're doing with your pet nuts and uh, and your skin contact wines. And um, but you still like to uh. So let's just say you you're, you're very experimental. Yes. No. Thank you. It's been a it's been an amazing um, last 18, 24 months of with some fantastic awards and recognition of the last. Um, decade or so of working working my way through the industry, um, but yeah, have have always been quite experimental and yeah, always stay true to to what the what the brand has been known for and the family tradition and history of uh, cool climate varietals. But I've also um, brought about a, a different train of thought and a different way of thinking and doing things and some trial and error. But yeah, lots of experimentation, always keeping things bright and fun and fresh. No, I love it, and that's the way it should be. You know, it's science and creativity. So, look, touching on your family, why don't you give us why don't you give us the Gilbert story because it goes back a long way to our to the beginnings in the Eden Valley. Yeah, it does go back a very, very long way. Very fortunate to have such an amazing history and and length and journey in in, in wine and Australian wine. But my great 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 grandfather um, came over to Australia in in eighteen thirty nine and in the late. Um, Mid to late 1840s, he planted um, arguably some of Australia's first Riesling, but definitely the first Riesling in in South Australia, um, in in the Eden Valley. And then from there, a label called Puseyvale was created. And then the Gilbert family has been involved in the industry ever since in in different capacities within that business also, um, and also many others as well. I like that. Just a lazy, yeah, just Pusey Just Vale. Just a lazy Pusey Vale. Just drop that in there. <laughs> Only one of the most well-known in, in Australia. So. Best-selling <laughs> and one of the greatest, uh, reason, you know, it's such a great value wine, but there, it really speaks wine. of place as well, though, doesn't it, Will? It sure does. It sure does. And, yeah, the the, the group that own it now and the sensational winemaker behind that now, Louisa Rose. Um, yeah, she's great. Doing a, doing a sensational job and, yeah, as you say, yes. Yeah, Still, definitely makes a sense in place and shows that shows that amazing site um, whilst continuing the the new the new journey with the Yolumba and Bill Smith family and but yeah, it's a sensational wine. Yeah, actually, actually, I think we had her on the show a few months ago, um, but it is—it's just such a well-known one. It's like Pusey Vale and Grosser, like they're just the—they're just they're like my 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 go-to, totally. Yeah. So on so on Rieslings, um, as it basically was the crux of your of your family and winemaking history. Um, so Eden Valley—that's where it started. But the core of what you now do is more in—it's New South Wales, right? It's more mudgy in the Orange area, those those cool climate areas. So um, can I what why the why the migration uh dad was born and bred over in in south australia and and in his mid-20s he moved across to new south wales for some different job prospects and some winemaking in the hunter valley and mm. and then yeah family was created and we were um then the roots were put down in, in new south wales and he's always had such a strong affinity and all has always wanted you know to to go back but now the opportunity can't really create itself but we've developed our own label um here where we're based in Mudgee um with some alternative varietals out of Mudgee but 
primarily focusing on cool climates of of orange of of obviously racing. Uh, we can't certainly we can't not um, have that involved in the brand now, but um, including some Chardonnay and Pinot Noir um, and, and some other bits and pieces as well. For for our Victorian listeners, and I'll include myself there, I have been to Mudgee, so you'll be happy with that, Jill. In fact, I actually played the um, the Huntington Music Festival back with the ACO way back in the wow. day before I moved over to New York. And what I remember, Will, was it was pretty hot, but it was also a locust plague. So give us an... Give us, it was biblical, mate, I tell you. Um, and luckily Ron's left the studio out there. But look, can, can you give us a bit of an overview of what, what's Mudgee all about for us in Victoria here? Yeah, Mudgee's at about five... 150 metres of elevation, and although it was quite hot when you were there, it was incredibly cold this morning. Mm. Um, <laughs> I bet. It's minus, minus three right now. It, oh, yeah. it certainly does move into those very warm summers, but yep. having that nice bit of elevation um, it creates a pretty chilly winter and certainly got some diversities of varietals of Chardonnay and Shrouds and Cabernet, um, having some of the oldest plantings of Chardonnay in the country, um, and that's what the region was built upon, but now moving... As times have changed and forces of weather and Mother Nature and all of that, um, there's been a bit more of a movement into some alternative white and red varietals that are a bit heartier through those growing conditions and a bit more conducive to what we're experiencing now in those um, spring, summer months. Yeah. A bit more Mediterranean-esque. Um, and then from an orange sense, about 100 kilometres as the crow flies from, from Mudgee, mm-hmm. um, the distance from our winery. and it drastically increases in elevation and goes up to um, just under, or just under eleven hundred meters of the highest mm. plantings. Yeah, that's, um, that's pretty the, high, isn't it? Very oh, yeah. high, very high. Snow, regular snowfalls through winter, and um, yeah, so a great future of sparkling and Chardonnay and Pinot and Riesling um, coming from Orange. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and the other thing, um, sorry, Jill, just to interject there, the, oh, what the elevation does give you, and Canberra's around the same, about 600 metres, of course, you do get warm days, but you get cold nights. And that's, yeah. during vintage, that's paramount to acid re- retaining in, in the grapes. So that's that's obviously a, a great thing for growing grapes in those regions. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And it gives that nice extended extended ripening period of you know those cool cool nights um just extends the ripening out and you don't get all the all the sugar ripening at once before the flavor Mm. and 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 anything else has um continued to ripen you get that nice long ripening period of of balanced flavor balanced sugar balanced acid so optimal ripeness scenarios beautiful yeah it's 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 such a fantastic read i think orange is actually well, it is the highest uh, wine growing region, I guess, in Australia, and definitely got to be one of the coldest. But you're right, in the summer, they are hot days, and in the winter, they are very, very cold nights. So we were actually just uh, just touching on Shiraz uh, earlier, Will, based on um, International Shiraz Day coming up on the 28th of July. So can we have a little chat about the Mudgy and Orange Shiraz? I, I'm a big fan of the Mudgy Shiraz, and Mudgy actually is about the, the mud and, and the clay. So um, so can you tell us about your style and the differences between you know, what you would be doing in, say, Eden Valley? Yeah, we, we do make Shiraz from, from all three regions, um, mm-hmm. which is pretty amazing and diverse offerings of, of what they can all contribute and offer. Uh, but yeah. Mudgee is that more bold and more um, sort of rougher style and definitely has has more evident tannin and structure and boldness of fruit, uh, whereas Orange is that more classic pool climate Syrah type Shiraz of the, 
the spicier notes, the whiter pepper, more floral and finer in style. And and our Eden Valley that we source um, is roughly a combination of the two. It's still got that cooler climate focus, but it, it is from a, a little bit of a warm site over there. So it has some of that mudgy density to it. Um, so the other we, sort we, of, yeah. We do treat all, all parcels very similarly. Um, it's just to let that terroir really come through and showcase the, the site and season. Um, we don't try to adjust too much from from one to another and we really want to have a bit of a hand, a bit of a winemaking hands-off approach to those to showcase the uniquenesses of Mudgy Orange and, and Eden Valley in that scenario. It's actually quite exciting to be able to grow in such different regions. I mean, I mean, even Mudgy and Orange themselves, they are still different. Um, obviously, not quite quite as quite as different as um, as Eden, but um, it's. I guess it's just a it's a different approach. I mean, yes, it's a hands off approach, but the way that uh, you know the way that you're really going to end up curating the the wines is very different. Um, just on other varietals that you do have in Mudgy and Orange, so I'm quite I'm quite interested in the pet mats and the skin contacts, and you've actually got a skin contact. Uh, sav and a gewurz. So, can you tell us a bit about those? Yeah, we we've just started playing around with um, with those skin contact whites to add another dimension to to our white blend that the gewurz tremor goes into, and then with the Sauvignon Blanc that it goes into our barrel fermented savvy. Uh, but just wanted to play around and have an alternative sort of. Um, blending option come come the final time before getting it into bottle and those parcels looked so unique and so interesting and and that we decided to to do a little small bottling and we've been doing it ever since and they're polar opposite in styles to to the conventional Sauvignon Blanc or the the conventional sort of white blend that we that we do do and just very shows those varieties in a very different picture and there's amazing depth of flavour and structure um, in both of them from from that time of skins and and such a balanced level of phenolics. They're not bitter or astringent from spending all that time on skins. It's very well balanced and some malolactic fermentation helps sort of soften that acidity and and some old neutral oak as well and and then yeah blended and bottled up and. Show, show, showcasing a different style of those varieties, and then the then the pet nats are the single varietals of Sangiovese Rosé from Mudgee, and then Riesling out of out of Orange, and um, deliberately getting those varietals because they have great natural acidity, and yeah. um, and therefore from a stability point of view, um, they're they're very stable going into bottle from a from where they sit from a numbers wise. So um, the great de- great structure of those varietals as that car- slightly carbonated um, and style of wine because we mm. bottle them whilst they're still going through fermentation and then they continue the fermentation in bottle under a little crown seal and then we shake them up and label them and send them out to market. But they've been incredibly popular and successful and they're still very varietal and bright and fresh, but they've got an added layer of complexity to them as well. And look, Will, I think the key to making pet nat, not that I've ever made a pet nat, I will tell you that I've only ever made very, not very commercial wines, but commercial wines. I'll tell you what I do. Uh, You know, having varietal definition for me as a consumer is very important in a pet nat because they can be very samey, samey. So well done for that. So in terms of how 
how dirty are they? Are they super dirty or are they a bit sort of more in a cleaner style, in a mid-style? Um, in Yeah, they're, as you were saying, very varietal and true to those varietal. But yep. um, from a turbidity and sort of muddiness, is yep. that what you're, yeah, what, yeah, what yeah, you're yeah, asking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I try to clarify them as, as best as possible okay. in, in each step of the way. Yep. And um, from, from a juice and then... That I rack it, so I leave all the the main sediment behind before yeah, cool. before we bottle. And there's a nice little layer of, of sediment, but um, that sort of shakes up and gives a evolution of style through the wine through yeah. maturing. But also, um, if it's completely clarified, that first glass is going to be super clear, and then it, you go, the consumer goes on a bit of a journey through through drinking and then get, getting a little bit cloudier, but. Yeah. I do want some sediment. Um, it gives us a point point of difference to our tra- traditional method sparklings that we do. Uh, and also, you know, at the end of the day, it's the ancestral method and um, and there was cloudiness back in that centuries and centuries ago. And Absolutely. Being true to that varietal and style and... Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun little project. That's the style that I describe as DBC, which is how I like my pet nats, which is dirty but clean. So I don't want them uber clean and I don't want them uber filth. I just want them somewhere in the middle like that. So you can have a varietal definition, but it also it doesn't put you off actually drinking it. Well, it actually sounds either. like martinis. Exactly, the exploding bottles. Are we yeah. going to <laughs> get to a point where, when it comes to pet nats, people actually will be asking? They want it dirty. They want they want it with the olive. Well, they want this. That. They're asking <laughs> that now, Jill. So I mean, really? we've got we've got like twenty five pet nats at Dan's now. Wow! Which wow! Is, yeah, twenty five, and I've got like eight in the fridge. Impressive. So people come in and they go, "Have you got any pet nats?" Expecting to have none. I'm like, "Dude, I've got a whole." Yes. We're not black hearts and sparrows, but we're you know we, <laughs> we need to have some. I, I've seen. I don't know if you've seen it, Will, but just as a general trend, I'm seeing people drinking a lot more pet nats and probably less orangey wines than was probably happening two or three years ago. Are you seeing that? Yes. Yeah. Our, you know, from a sales point of view, those those skin contact wines are. They do sell out and things, but they're much smaller releases. But the demand for our pet mat is um, is huge. You know, we export to many countries as, as well with it, and um, and yeah, the, the consumer is just loving loving that style of wine at the moment, and you know, conducive to conducive to people's way of eating and drinking and socialising. Yeah, and, um, no, definitely. Are Are you finding it's it's more of a particular demographic like is it the younger the younger drinkers or is it completely varied yeah it is completely varied but you know the most part is that younger demographic and a bit of a a gateway into into the wine world which is which is fantastic and a bit of a gateway into supporting brands as well we've even noticed in this you know in the six or seven years that we've been playing around and you know releasing them for the last five um, mm. People started buying that, and then they move into other other parts of the wines that you offer, and it ends up being a bit of that gateway wine. Um, but yeah. how? But also, you know, the demographic of people drinking in the cellar door or or whatnot is, um, yeah, it's, it's all over the place, and no no sort of demographic or age is like concerned with with drinking pet nap. Right. Well, actually, what, what, can you tell us a bit about your cellar door? Now you touch on that. Like, how, how many days are you open? Uh, you know, you, you've got food. What's just just give us a bit of a an outline of the experience that someone would have if they come along. It's in the. Um, it's just on the outskirts of town in this beautiful old sandstone building with a key factory out the back, and um, nice. And we're open seven days a week and extensive 
um, in the extensive wine list of what we offer. Uh, but yeah, broken up into two different flights, and then people can sit down and enjoy a glass of wine or a few bottles of wine, and with some little small bites that we um, that we make in the kitchen that we have there, and a bit of a immersive sort of food and wine experience. It's not just a tasting sort of in and out, and you can sit back and mm. enjoy yourself and and then wander back into town, which isn't too far away. So could you just, um, uh, so if I was coming along to your cellar door today, what would be the wines on offer? We, we've got our, our Gilbert Wine Flight and then our, our premium listing. Um, but yeah, with our Gilbert Wine Flight, it shows our three blends of our Blanc, Rosé and Rouge and Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc and a couple of other varietals as well. And then the, the premium flight of, of some Chardonnay, Pinots, Riesling and, and our Mudgies Infidel, which is a small little solid ore relief. Mudgies Infidel, that sounds f- mm. yeah, that's interesting. I wasn't expecting they that. They do them well. Yeah, Actually, Mud- Mudgie, Mudgie does a lot of them very well. There's a few, um, a few growers of Zinfandel here and the those drier seasons it's um very conducive to to the to the varietal oh, and cool. uh, makes a very interesting deep bold red and it's a nice nice um sits nicely in our portfolio up along those finer more delicate styles of pinots and then you get this big bold in shortly after <laughs> that sounds it's good. going on the list mudgies absolutely so, so Will, my um, uh, my sister and her husband live in Mudgee, so I get out there probably three, four times a year for a weekend, and uh, I always love it. I'll make sure I um, I give you a buzz and let you know so I can come along and do one of these tastings with you and, and try your gorgeous wines because I'm, I'm obviously very impressed with what you're doing and um, quite excited to see what's going to be what's going to be going on for the next twelve and twenty four months with you. No, definitely, definitely. Please pop pop by and. I can show you some wines and some new releases. Oh, that would be sensational.